Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, as you're about to hear, is a fun conversation with Ben Ladner. I'm coming to you before the intro music to let you know that there is one bit of technical difficulty about the six-minute mark of the conversation. There's about 10 seconds where uh, Ben kind of went in and out, so I'm going to go ahead and put a marker in there right now with my voice to let you know when it happened. You still get the gist of what Ben is trying to say, and from that point forward, the audio is uh, hopefully smooth sailing, so my apologies for that little bit of a hiccup, but you still get the gist of what's going to happen, and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 720 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, it is Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. The Hawks are not back in action until Thursday night at home against the Miami Heat. But uh, in, in order to prepare for the second quote-unquote half of the season, which is actually 26 games, of course, not really a half of the season at all, I have a guest joining me on this podcast. You probably already know that because you clicked on this podcast, but alas, here we are. And the great Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated is here. Hello, Ben. How's it going, man? I'm all right. Um it's Tuesday, you know, we're getting closer, less than 48 hours now until there's actual ba- basketball to watch again. The All-Star break is needed for, I think, everyone, but at the same time, it's a little bit odd. Like last night, Monday night and Tuesday night, I am uh, I-, I do some shift work for Dime, and it was kind of boring because there really wasn't much going on in uh, the NBA world, which is okay. Uh, I've been watching some, some college basketball, but uh, I'm looking forward to having basketball back. Yeah, me too. I, I will say, though, I-, I have enjoyed the break. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I love watching basketball not just the Hawks but you know the entire NBA that's about all I do during the season but when you have a, a week like this where you kind of can take some time off um I've I think I've watched like four movies in the last four days or, or whatever it is so I've definitely taken advantage of not having any basketball on TV and tried to uh you know kind of get my mind away from it as much as possible but it will be nice to, to focus back on it once it picks back up yeah, and we're almost there. And of course, the Hawks will be pretty interesting um, as 15 and 41 teams go. I think the Hawks have more storylines than most teams in their position have. And part of that's the trade deadline stuff that happened. I know it's been a little bit of time now, but um, I've not talked to you in this form. So I want to start off with a little bit of Clint Capella talk, even though he's not playing right now. In fact, you were at practice earlier today. I was not there, um, but the Hawks got back in, into the swing of things on Tuesday evening and um, and it seems as if, um, as I read between the lines, maybe you can shed some light on this, Capella is not going to be playing on Thursday. The Hawks have not said that out loud, at least in official form, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be back immediately. And, um, you know, obviously that's going to be sort of the looming specter here is like when he's going to play again. But what can you feel about how that's potentially going? What has Lloyd Pierce said? And then uh, from there, we can kind of get into the way this is potentially going to fit when he comes back. Yeah, so Pierce said he's going to miss, he, he said he guessed that Capella would miss seven games-ish um, over the final 26. But I, I couldn't tell if that meant that the next seven, like he'll be out for another seven games, or if he just expects him, you know, to for, because of wear and tear and load management or whatever it is. Or I'm sorry, injury management. Well, um, and there's some back-to-backs in there. And I, I, would yeah. Im- I would imagine they're not going to be pushing him super hard to play back-to-backs the rest right. of the way, because why, why would they? Um, but yeah. yeah, so I, I couldn't tell if it was seven consecutive games or if he, if he just expects him to miss seven total games. Yeah, either way, yeah, it doesn't seem like he's going to play on Thursday, and they, they want to be cautious about this this heel thing. And, and Travis Schlank and Capella, I think, both said as much at his introductory press conference where that's that's kind of their first priority. 
So it, it seems like he'll play anywhere from 17 to 22 games over the final 26 or whatever it is. Um, so, it, you know, either way, even if he played all 26, you're not getting a huge sample size um, in terms of what he looks like with the rest of the Hawks' young core and, and, and the rest of the group. But it does seem like they're kind of taking it slow with him. But it also, you know, this doesn't seem like a, a super major injury. So I think it's, it's one that he can recover from. He didn't practice today, uh, he, at least not in a kind of full contact team setting. Uh, he was shooting free throws afterward and, and just kind of getting some light, light work in. But I don't think he's quite up to on-court workouts or running or anything like that. So it could be a little while. Yeah, it's one of those weird situations where the team has not, I don't think, had to release an official report, you know, with, with, with Jabari Parker and even Chandler Parsons and Alex Lynn and guys who had longer term injuries. The team will put out a statement of sorts updating. But with Capella, with when he got there, they kind of had the benefit of the doubt where they could not say anything official until the All-Star break. And then the All-Star break happens and everybody goes their separate ways and you're not going to get anything from the team during that time. So um, we'll see if they release anything like that officially. But for now, I mean, we'll find out officially on Wednesday night when they have to put out their uh, their injury report for the game on Thursday. But uh, yeah, he's not going to play, I don't think. And especially if he's not practicing at this point in time um, on Tuesday because, you know, that's just the way that works. I, I can't imagine that he's going to have one practice with the, with the Hawks and then be playing. And that's, that's assuming that he even practices tomorrow, which is a, a bold assumption that I won't make on this podcast. Um, yeah, I would I would actually I would assume he would not practice yeah. tomorrow given the fact that he just didn't really do anything today. That makes a lot of sense. Um taking that out of it and we we can assume I think that he's going to play at some point um between now and the end of the season. You know, the, I think it's probably still the biggest storyline with the team in the rest of the season is just how this is going to work. And we talked about it a lot at the time of the trade, but since you're since you're here and you cover the team as closely as anybody, um what do you, and and the league in general which is arguably more valuable in this context because of how this is very interesting when compared to the rest of the league. The Hawks can be pretty big now um, with Collins and Capella in the front court. How do you, I would say, how how do you envision that working? Because a lot's been said about it between both guys being comfortable rolling to the rim and Collins floor spacing and, you know, staggering all this stuff. But what what do you sort of envision for how it might work and how you think they're actually going to try to approach this? I'm kind of lukewarm on it at the moment. I don't really feel strongly either way just because we haven't seen it. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who say, you know, move Collins, it's not going to work. Like, you know, he's he's best as a center on offense. And now you have Capella who does kind of the same thing, which that, that's a valid argument. You know, Collins is at his best when he's rolling to the rim and finishing lobs. That's also what Capella is best at. And so if you have those two guys on the floor together, every possession they share of the court is one possession where Collins is not at his best. And while he is a, a capable floor spacer and a 35, 34 percent. All right, guys, here is the moment where Ben cut out. So uh, come right back with uh, him talking, and we'll be jumping right back into the conversation. For most of his career, at least as, as long as he's been a rotation player. So even if he, you know, even if he starts and plays his normal amount of minutes, you still have you know, 20 to 25 minutes per game that you can use either Deadman or Collins or you know, Center X, who's not on the team yet, as a center and, and you know, Ideally, that would be a, a floor spacer, someone who would allow Collins to get downhill and play that sort of role man type of role. Um, but but if not, then you can you know maybe it's a, a kind of a stretch four, and you can allow Collins to be the center because I do think he's made big enough strides on defense this season to at least provide some hope that he could be a, a capable rim protector, at least as a as a backup center, if not as a, a full time starter. So uh, I'm I'm kind of. I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic on this pairing now that I you know, really have had time to think about it. I could see arguments certainly going both ways. And I think 
you know, eventually when they do start sharing the court together, I think I think we'll see moments where, you know, it, it kind of backs both cases. I think we'll see moments that look really great between the two. And you say, okay, this is what the front office was thinking. This is what they envisioned. And then we'll see moments where it's like, okay, these guys clearly, you know, it's kind of an awkward fit. They're going to need to figure some things out. So uh, in the aggregate, I, I think it'll probably will probably come away um, with some idea of of what that pairing can be. But again, like Capella, it sounds like he's really only going to play 20 games or so uh, down the rest of the season. And so is that really a large enough sample size to make any kind of conclusion? I'm not sure. And so I think this is this is more something that they're going to want to take a look at next year. And then and that's one of the reasons I feel like they're not going to move Collins, at least not this summer or, you know, the end of the obviously not the end of the season. Um, but I think this is more something that that we'll have to wait till next year, really get a firm grasp on. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It's, you know, we're not we're just not going to see enough volume to make definitive conclusions that won't stop anyone from making conclusions. Uh, I know that just how, that's just how the world works, um, especially on Twitter and things like that. But uh, I, I tend to want to see more than, um, you know, the 20 to 25 at the very, very high level of games that we're going to see the rest of the way. I just don't think that's going to be enough to like have huge actionable Intel. It can certainly make inferences. And I think we'll be able to glean some stuff from how it's going to work. And, you know, my biggest concern the entire time is that it's not that I don't think it can work. I think that there is a risk that Collins is, I think he's, I think he's very capable of being that sort of floor spacer that you need on the floor with Capella but that is not ever going to be his best role. Like they're not the same thing. Like you, you can be capable of it and also be, at least for me, a little bit hesitant because I think Collins is very, very good as a role man. And I think you want to take, keep him in that role as much as possible. So I'd be trying to stagger those guys as much as possible. I think that's the one thing about Deadman right now coming in. I want to ask you about him as well. Um, having Deadman be there is a pretty nice thing. And I think, you know, Schlenk hasn't said this, but I would be surprised if it wasn't at least part of the calculus to go out and get a backup center that we know works with John Collins. So that if you stagger a little bit, and I think that should be definitely the goal here is to, you know, try to play as many of the 48 minutes as possible with either Capella or Collins on the floor. If you do that and sort of have Deadman paired with Collins, um, that makes a ton of sense because we've seen that work and Deadman is the floor spacer and you can let Collins be in that role. And then at the end of games, if you're playing a team that's a little bit bigger, you, you could still finish games with Collins and Capella on the floor together. But if you aren't, if you're playing as a team that's playing smaller, you can play one of those guys at center. And even if it's honestly, that might be games when Capella's not, clo- not closing games. That's, that's kind of the nature of the beast in today's NBA. When you have a center, that's not like an elite player, that guy sometimes is not closing games because there's nowhere to put him. So, you know, a lot of things will be worked out and a lot of the conversations that I've had and I know you that I know you've had kind of have to do with the highest levels of the sport, which the Hawks are not at right now. Like there are a lot of playoff conversations that, that have been had and it's like that's still probably 2 years away from really mattering, but it does matter in a team building sense and you want to be, you know, optimal in the way you build your team and it kind of all comes through the prism of Collins having to get paid pretty soon. So, I don't know. There's a lot of factors in play, and I totally agree with you that we're going to need to see more than the 20 games that we're about to see. Yeah, and I think at the very least, Capella can be some kind of insurance. If you do lose John Collins, yep. well, then at least you have a cost-controlled center for the next three years, maybe four years, whatever it is, um, that, that you can rely on. He's making 17, 18, 19 million a year. For a guy with his skill set at his age, at his talent level, that, that's a pretty good price to pay even if he's not a perfect player. So if, if you do lose Collins, you know, then you, you have an option still at center. And I think, you know, power forward, they'd, they'd be looking a little bit, but you can, 
I think that's a more fixable hole than if Collins doesn't work out as a center and then you lose him and then you're left without a center or you you keep him and then you have to play him at center and you don't have anyone else or any any other alternative scenario. And so I think that's they gave themselves a little bit of flexibility or at least a, a fallback option there. Um, and then I think they do like just the optionality they have now with these three centers in, in Collins, Deadman, and Capella, where you know each guy kind of offers a, a different a different thing. You know, they 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 bring something unique to the offense where Capella is more of a role man, Deadman's more of a floor spacer. Collins is kind of a hybrid between the two. Obviously, better as a role man, but he allows you to play smaller and quicker. Uh, Capella, you can play. You, know, you can kind of double down on that pick and roll style that they like to play because they're one of the most pick and roll heavy teams in the league. And then Deadman allows you to kind of space the floor and and open up things. So Collins can play that that role man role. And I had someone ask me on on Twitter actually, like, you know, how can they how can they build a system around Deadman and Capella as their centers? You know, they they don't have similar skill sets. How is this going to work? And I think I, I, I kind of just fundamentally reject that because I think that the the optionality, the flexibility is the point. You know, you give yourself different op yourself different options, different ways of playing. And and I think Deadman in particular. Uh, allows them a sort of flexibility that just makes life easier for everyone else. You know, we, we, you hear it talked about all the time among NBA analysts how you know, even limited guys like Deadman, and, and and you see this particularly at the center position. If you can space the floor and protect the rim, you know, even if you don't really have any other skills, those are the two most valuable skills you can have as a modern NBA big man. And so, to me, like you know, you you hear about they took on his contract and all that kind of thing. If he shoots thirty seven, you know. 38% from three like he did his two years in Atlanta and protects the rim at, at the way he has the last couple of years. Like that's, that's a value contract to me for a, a, a center like him. Now, if he's your backup, maybe you're not getting quite as much out of it because he's not playing the minutes and you can find replacement level centers, but that's a, a fine contract to pay to a, a player who gives you that kind of flexibility and who has those kinds of skills. And so, you know, that, that obviously depends on whether he shoots the three, which he hasn't so far and didn't in Sacramento. Um, but, but, you know, that's, it's, it's a worthwhile gamble to take, I think, just because of the, the upside it gives you with that flexibility. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you want to have that optionality. It's a good point. And, you know, knowing, knowing that Collins fits and Deadman, you know, is overpaid compared to what he, compared to what the market dictates for him. But if he's the guy that he was in Atlanta, which their early signs are good, there are, it, it is a small sample size, but the early signs look like he's been, you know, playing more like his old self in Atlanta in this system. For whatever reason, that seems to fit him. He seems to be comfortable here. Um, provided he's close to the player he was for the, for the two years that he was here. It's not a crazy contract. It's, it's too much money, but when you factor in that the Hawks, and I, I think Travis Schleck has even acknowledged this now in some reporting from Chris Kirshner of The Athletic, that they were planning on Jabari Parker opting in, and they, at least in my, this is now my opinion versus that, um, I think they treated him as if he was largely bad money um, in this trade. So getting off of that and bringing Deadman in at a, you know, it's, it's a reasonable number. Uh, it's probably a little bit too much, but at the same time, you still have all of your young guys making very, very little for next season. So the impact is not that big and, you know, cast base, all that stuff. And just having another good player. I think Dwayne Debbin is immediately one of the, you know, five or six best players on the team, probably. Um, if he's the, if he's the guy that he was in Atlanta previously, and they think that he is at least, at least close to it. And, um, you know, I think we'll hopefully look back and at that Sacramento stint and kind of be like, what in the world happened there? Because he's, he was very good. I think like starter level good in Atlanta for two years, then he suddenly wasn't. And now he might just be that again. And if he is, then that everything's perfectly fine. And it, it, it all works because you got to fill, you know, 48 minutes at center, 
Um, Devin doesn't have to play a ton. I mean, Capella probably is not going to play 36 minutes a game in Atlanta. It's just not what's, that's not what's going to happen here. So, and then you have Collins playing a little bit at center. So you suddenly you have 48 minutes of, of good play at center, and that would be a stark change from where it's been for most of this season, if not all of this season. Um, it'll feel like a luxury. I know we've talked about this. I know Kevin Sherrard and I talked about this as well. Even having Devin already, it just feels like night and day from basically everything the Hawks have had at center other than um, some time of Alex Len, who I, I'm still fairly high on. Um, you know, Demi compared to guys like Bruno, Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones this season is like night and day. So just having that, and that doesn't even get into Capella, who's better than Devin. So uh, it's an uptick for sure. Yeah, uh, Damian Jones, when this team is healthy, should not play a single minute. And, and he uh, will not, I think, I think. Yeah, and I think, I think we all, I don't mean to pile on, on to him specifically, but the other, I think, benefit of, of acquiring Deadman at the trade deadline is, is what we're seeing right now. You know, suppose Capella gets hurt, misses a few games, you have a guy you can slot in as a capable starting center. You know, and, and so he's, he's kind of right on the fringe of starter and backup right now where he's, you know, probably a, at his best, he's like a, a mid-tier starting center and, you know, he has the variance to kind of slip down to that high-level backup range. But, you know, even then, you feel confident, you know, kind of sliding him into that starting lineup if Capella's out. If John Collins misses time, you know, you can you can feel good about the production you're getting at center. And then, like you mentioned, when everyone's healthy, you just have 48 minutes of, of capable rim protection. And just having an adult in the room on defense, I think, is going to make a huge difference for this team. Because as, as much as Collins has improved this season at times, you know, he's still not not a perfect defensive player and, and had his foibles as a backline defender. And so now just having having two guys who can no matter who's on the floor, they can give you that defensive backbone, I think is going to make a big difference for this team, perhaps immediately. You know, as soon as Capella comes back, we can start seeing that difference, even if it's not going to necessarily change this team's long term or, or you know, short term playoff outlook, to be certain. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, you, you mentioned Damian. I'm not going to talk about that because I think we're on the same page there. I, you know, all respect. I don't think he's going to be a part of the team's long term future. I, I did want to ask about Bruno Fernando because that's a question that I've gotten that I haven't really talked about a ton. Like, what happens to Bruno now? Because I was always not skeptical of Bruno. I thought that was a perfectly reasonable pick where, where it happened. And I think he has shown some flashes this year. He's still a rookie and rookies are generally bad. And um, he's had some moments, but um, now of course he has two guys who are a lot better than him playing against playing in front of him now, plus Collins. And people have asked me about Bruno playing the four and it's like, yeah, they could do that a little bit, but ultimately I think the team knows, and I definitely agree with this, that he is a center. Um, so what does that mean for him long-term? Because on one hand, he's a second-round pick, and you know, playing sort of papering over that guy is not a huge surprise, nor should it be seen as anything like that. But at the same time, he was also like that extra piece that wasn't quite wasn't quite a part of the core, but also was their like next best young guy. And now it seems like he has a pretty tough path to you know regular playing time. And does that like impact him for the future? Like, where does he actually stand for you now? He's kind of in flux right now to me. You know, he's he's probably not going to play a whole lot this season if, if everyone's healthy. And again, we have to wait to see when Capella comes back and what he looks like. I think this is one of the benefits of having the the College Park Skyhawks just right there in your backyard. You know, you can still get him some playing time. He can practice with the team, but maybe play games in the G League just to get those reps. And then long term, you know, like maybe, maybe if, if Collins or Capella isn't part of this team in two years, he, he can find a role there. Uh, I, I think they're hoping he's he's their long-term backup center. At least that's what it looks like right now. You know, Deadman is a little on the older side to fit in with this team's core, so maybe they're they're kind of hoping on uh, for for uh, Fernando to turn into a similar type of player. 
even if he probably won't be the kind of shooter that Deadman has proven to be. Um, but other than that, you know, like if you lose him in restricted free agency or if you have to trade him down the line, I think I think you can do that. Like, I don't think that's a huge loss, even if you did invest a, a fairly high second round pick in Bruno. And I've actually been encouraged by some of the flashes he's shown this season, even if the the production itself has been decidedly uh, below average. But, you know, if, if you if you include him in a deal or if you kind of just let him walk in restricted free agency, if some team decides to give him a, a heftier contract than the Hawks would would like. Um, I think you can have you have that luxury now because you trust Deadman, because you trust Capella and you you feel like he's a part of your long term core. And then, you know, if they feel the same way about Collins, then that kind of solidifies the front court and there's just not much room for Bruno anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with you. I, you know, there's been some buzz that Bruno's like been disappointing or something like that. I don't really think that's true. I think he's kind of just been what I imagined a rookie center that was picked at number 34 overall is going to be like, he's going to have some flashes. He's going to look overmatched at times. Um, he had, a, a, of course the unfortunate family, family tragedy as well, where he was kind of away from the team for a little bit that might've slowed him down a little bit as well. So, I mean, all things considered, I think he's still on a perfectly fine track. It's just that right now the Hawks now have two guys who are solidly better than him. Whereas we were arguing, and I think I, I know I did, I think you might have even as well, even as recently as a month ago, that he should be playing more because of Damian Jones and kind of he was just ahead of Damian Jones. And I think, you know, long term backup center is still a path that Bruno can fit. And he's under contract for three years. Um, it's two more years after this, but at, at a very, very, very cheap number. That's the one thing of having a second round pick is having those guys under control for a little while at basically no money. So if you know you bring him along slowly, he learns from a couple of veterans. I think there's still a path for Bruno to be a rotation player for this team in the next couple of seasons. Um, right now, he shouldn't be playing a ton. But also, you know, we talked about this earlier with Deadman, but while Capella is out, I would love and I hope to see Bruno as the primary backup center. Because, you know, versus Damian, I don't think it's particularly close as to who is more valuable to the team long term. So go ahead and invest the time in Bruno and have him be the guy who is the first guy up whenever there's an injury or a back-to-back rest, something like that. I, I, I like to see him play, you know, 20 minutes a game when Capella's out. Yeah, I, I might not go as high as 20 because I, I still eh, think yeah, <laughs> I, I still think you want to get time for Collins to yeah. play the five a little bit, see what That's that fair. looks like. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean... I, Frankly, I think that should have been the case all season, you know, and you just you kind of mentioned that you and I and Kevin have been talking about how, you know, if if Bruno had gotten the opportunity and the reps that Damian Jones has this season, who's to say that Bruno wouldn't be a vastly better player than Jones is right now? You know, I think just the capacity for growth and the the I guess the rate of growth that Bruno has shown is far surpassed what Jones has done. You know, sometimes you forget Damian Jones is in his fourth year. You know, my my dad will text me all the time and say you know, uh, Jones is a rookie, right? I'm like, no, he's, he's been in the league for a while. And, you know, he's, it, it just hasn't quite clicked for him. And, you know, I feel like if Bruno had been getting those kinds of minutes, he could develop at a, a faster rate and, and turn into a more valuable player. Um, and so I guess that's, that's one of those mysteries to me that I, I haven't quite been able to solve this season. And it's, it's not a significant enough thing for me to really like fret about or, or, you know, share much, uh, much criticism of, but, uh, it is kind of a perplexing, phenomenon that that Jones has played so much this season and and Bruno's kind of been chained to the bench which I get again he hasn't been great this year and and certainly there have been times where he's just been unplayable and so and injured too like right I could sort of see it in some respects there have been individual games where it's really baffled me but if you go back and look through it Bruno's had a couple of injuries 
Um, he's had the, as I mentioned before, the family tragedy. So like, you can kind of see why he never got fully entrenched and Damien, um, for his faults has been healthy the entire time and been around. So that's something that he can bring. And also offensively, I think you could probably argue that Damien's more valuable. Um, yeah, that's probably true. I still wouldn't play him more um, because, you know, I think we just kind of know what he is. But as a role man, Damien does have some real gravity. Like, that's the one thing that he does legitimately well on a basketball court right now. So if they really want that with Trey, and I think they probably do want that, especially when Colin was out early on in the year. I know they wanted Damien to play a lot in that role. So I can sort of see it, even if I agree with your overall point, that Bruno should be playing more. Yeah, I think the role gravity is the thing that they want, just kind of especially when Collins was out. You just want someone who can approximate that that downhill ability. Um, but I think we've veered too far on the on the backup center track. Here. We have. We, we can get <laughs> we can get uh, out of this, I promise. Uh, in fact, yeah, no, but gonna... I, I think uh, just, just to kind of close up that point I was making earlier, yeah. I do think they want to save some some time for Collins to play the five. Uh, but I do agree that, that Fernando should probably be the primary backup center. And then, you know, there's also those times where he's going to be unplayable and Damian Jones will be unplayable. And then you just play Collins for 20 minutes at – at backup center and you're fine. And I think he can do that at this stage of his career. Yep. That's well said. All right, then we're going to go to a quick break and we'll come right back with more on uh, the rest of the season, how it's going to look. All right, Ben, we're back. And, uh, I am going to ask you one more backup center question. Ready? Um, yes. It is about Scalabissier because Scalabissier is also hurt right now. Um, and you know, part of this is probably lip service. But some of it may, may not be is that the Hawks seemingly are interested in having him be around because they, they could have cut him. They, they got paid to take him and they could have cut him like they did with Derek Walton, but they didn't do that. So I think there is at least some intrigue. And Travis Schlenk said that they um, that he's tried to acquire him before. And I think there are at least some talent there with Scal. Um, obviously, he's still injured and we don't know when, when he'll be back either. But is there a path in your mind to him being a part of this team beyond the season? Sure. I mean, I think everything we said about Bruno, about him possibly developing into that backup center, could also go for Scal. You know, maybe he has even more upside as a, a shooter and as a, just kind of a more versatile defender. And he showed some some flashes in Portland this season. It wasn't, you know, anything amazing. It, it wasn't like a sustained impact over, you know, multiple weeks. But he had he had his games, he had his moments. And I think the defensive upside, you know, at his, his best moments was, was pretty clear. And you can kind of see what the Hawks envision him as in a best case scenario as a rim protector a guy who can do a little bit of switching and, and be versatile and just use his athleticism around the rim uh you know schlank mentioned trying to stretch his range out to to three-point range and you know for what it's worth he was shooting uncontested corner threes in practice today uh, it's probably worth nothing but but i figured i would note it anyway um and and so i, I think you can see you know backup center potential there and and maybe someday starting center potential although on this team i don't necessarily see how that would unfold, but you know, you can kind of see the upside and, and given that they were paid to take him and they gave up basically a, 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 a top 55 protected or whatever it was, second round pick to get him, you kind of get him for free. And, uh, you know, it's worth taking the, the flyer. They had the extra roster spot. And I, I think they, they figure like, Hey, if this guy works out, it might as well be in our system. And there's really no downside to taking him on. And so I, I can see that from their perspective. And if, if they like the upside, and, and clearly they like it more than, than I and most people do, then yeah, sure, it's a worthy gamble. And, and if it doesn't work out, then you know you really haven't invested too much in this guy, and he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this season. You have team control over him. I don't see any team swooping in with a giant offer sheet that the Hawks are going to have to match or you know have to let him walk away. So 
I think I think it's it's likely they can keep him on a pretty low number this coming summer and, and moving into the future. And then if he develops into a valuable player, then you have him on a bargain deal and he can be a solid backup center for you. So that that's kind of the upside. And then the downside is that he's just not very good. And then he doesn't have to be a part of your team if he's not good. Well said. And we will move off from the backup center now. I will leave that right there because we'll get down another rabbit hole and there's no reason to do that. Okay. Uh, there are 26 more games, obviously, as we said a couple times on the podcast. What else are you looking for? It's a very broad question, but aside from the big fit, which everyone's talked about ad nauseum and we'll keep talking about, is there anything else that you've circled in your brain on what is something that you're like monitoring? Because obviously there's there are the two first round pick rookie wings that have lots of intrigue as they, as they continue to improve. Trey Young is the very obvious name, but we kind of know what he is. He's awesome. Um what, what else are you looking for the rest of the way? I mean, the schedule we'll get into. I wanna, I'm going to put you down with, with, a, with a prediction later on the podcast, so prepare for that. But um, anything else you're looking for that you kind of have circled in your brain? So there, there are a couple things. One of them is kind of this tension between – we touched on this earlier, but the, the tension between wanting to see how this these young guys fit with Clint Capella, or I guess how he fits with them is probably the better way of putting it. But also wanting to see how the the five man unit of of Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and John Collins fits together because you know, that that's still I mean Capella's part of that too. But you're going to have to make some choices and prioritize and identify, I guess, just how all of those dynamics fit together. And and Pierce talked at practice today. He he referred to that those five guys as as their core five. And and so. Uh, and he also mentioned Capella as a, as another long-term piece for this team. But really, that was the group that he focused on. And, and that's the group he's been focusing on all season as kind of the team's main five guys. And so they've actually been pretty effective together this year. I think they've played like 260 possessions together, which is not a ton, but it's it's something. And they have like a plus six and a half net rating or something like that, which is very solid. It's like a 116 offensive rating. So they, they've been good. And some of that is due to unsustainably hot shooting. But they are generating the right types of shots in general. They do have more floor spacing. They do push the tempo and transition and create easy buckets. And I think that can be an effective long-term offensive unit. And, and they've been passable enough on defense to make you think they could get by on that end of the floor if the offense is good enough and if it's going to be you know, the super dangerous kind of Phoenix Suns style, of course, mid-2000s Phoenix Suns, not current Phoenix Suns style of offense. Um, so that, that to me is a group that I think they really want to take a hard look at. And it's one that I want to get a look at as well, but you're also balancing that with, you know, how do we fit Capella into this? How do we get Deadman on the floor with those guys? And there are only so many minutes in an NBA game and there are only so many minutes that each guy can play. I mean, it's not like you can just have Trey Young out there for 48 minutes and then just kind of alternate different guys in next to him just to see how he looks with everyone. So it, it's, it's going to be an interesting juggling act for Lloyd Pierce in terms of, you know, how he creates opportunities and how he lines up the rotation to get a look at each kind of distinct group, you know, the, the non-Capella young core and then the, you know, four of those guys plus Capella type of group. And then you still have Deadman to fit in. You're, you still have, you know, just a, a whole rotation. You know, you're still juggling that entire group. And so that's going to be really fascinating to track. And then the other one, I guess, is just the progress of, of the young wings, Herder, uh, Reddish, and, and Hunter. You know, Hunter's kind of slowed down here. The last couple months, and and I think the rookie wall hit him hard. I think he's also been dealing with some nagging injuries that haven't been serious enough to keep him out of games, but have been bad enough to kind of limit his effectiveness. Uh, hopefully, the All Star break kind of helped him, you know, get right and heal up a little bit. But I wonder, you know, is his shooting going to come back to to where it was early in the season? Is he going to be 
effective with the ball in his hands? Can he regain some of that defensive verve that we saw at the beginning of the year? For Reddish, I think it's can he sustain what he's been doing the last month? You know, 40% from three, I think, in January and has carried that into February in the limited amount of games he's played. Uh, the defense, obviously, has just improved all season long, and that's become a, a major storyline for this team, just about how good Cam Reddish is on the defensive end of the floor. And then Herter, I think, I think he's one of the more interesting pieces of this core because while I don't think he has the upside of maybe a Reddish, I do think his versatility and just his ability to space the floor and provide secondary playmaking, you know, it's kind of like that that thing we talked about with Deadman where you can you can protect the rim and space the floor. I think for guards, it's can you space the floor and attack a closeout and run a second side pick and roll. Those are kind of the two, you know, valuable skills. And if you have both of them, even if you're limited elsewhere, you can be a really effective player. And I think that's the kind of guy you want next to Trey Young who can take some of the burden off of him, uh, both as a shooter and as a guy who can just kind of, you know, soak up a few extra possessions per game that Trey doesn't have to. Um, and, and get him a little bit of rest kind of in-game. So Herter, to me, is is just his versatility and ability to, to plug a whole lot of different gaps I think could be a really fascinating kind of skeleton key for this team in the next five or six years. And I, I, I want to see that come out a little bit more. We, we've seen flashes from Herter at, at moments this season. We've seen him have, you know, two, three weeks of really good play. But I want to see him kind of sustain that and, and really carry that through the end of the season and and maybe I guess prove that that he can be that kind of guy that they need next to Trey in the backcourt. Yep, I uh, I totally agree with that. You know, Herter, as you said, has had these nice flashes, and I think overall it's still been pretty good. Um, you know, Herter's not like incredibly efficient, but also like reasonably efficient. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three on the season. That's good, obviously on almost six attempts a game. I want to see Herter take like nine attempts a game from three. <laughs> like it's one of those yeah. things where I would just be okay with him bombing. And he's had a couple of games, a couple of games where he's just come out firing and been confident. And I think if you're getting, you know, this might sound high, but like 17, 18 threes a game attempted from Trey and Kevin Herter, that's kind of what you want um, on this team, particularly right now, because those two, those two are really the only guys who I would say are plus shooters on the roster. at the moment. Yeah. By the way, it's, I was looking on cleaning glass the other day, and the Hawks are dead last in three-point percentage, despite having Trey and Kevin Herter as their two highest volume. Oh, and, and they have been all year, shooters. pretty much. I mean, they, they've, been that, they've been on there the entire time. I mean, and honestly, it's not me tooting my horn or anything like that, but like we talked about this a lot in the preseason. It was like, guys, they don't, they don't have enough shooting, and I got kind of shouted down, and it's like, guys, they just don't have enough shooting. Honestly, I mean, Trey cooled off a little bit to the point where he's shooting 37% from three, which is still exceptionally good on his volume and on his attempts. Yes. But you have him at 37% and Herter at 39%. The only other guys who are above 35 are Collins at 35.5, which is not huge volume, and of course he missed half the season. And then you have – that's it. I mean, Deadman's the only other guy, and it's three, it's three games. Every other every other person like Hunter's at thirty four and a half. That's that's the next best. Reddish thirty one and a half. Teague thirty one. You know, Bembry twenty three percent. You know, even Alan Crabb didn't make shots when he was here before. Vince Carter is not shooting the ball well. That's that's his really his one big skill offensively. Brandon Goodwin thirty one percent. Like they don't have shooting, and it's been popular to discuss like Joe Harris as a free agent target, and I, and I would I would definitely co sign that. But at the end of the day, they just don't have enough shooting right now, and it's it's very it's very obvious. But also, to your point, it's jarring when people kind of realize how bad it's been. Because if you told me that the two, you know, between Trey and Kevin Herter, they would shoot you know thirty eight percent combined on you know fifteen attempts a game, 
and you still tell me that the Hawks are the, best, are the worst shooting team in the league, it's it's like pretty ridiculous. To think. I, I didn't know that was mathematically possible. I mean, the, to have your two highest volume three point shooters shoot thirty eight percent combined and still be the worst three point shooting team in the league. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's just it, it's it, really hard to do. It's what happens when you don't have anybody else that is like an actually good shooter this season. I mean, and by the way, Hunter Hunter at almost five attempts a game and thirty four and a half percent is just fine. Like that's not bad at all, but when he's your number three three point shooter for the season, um, that isn't very good. And honestly, it's gotten better because Reddish early on just was so bad that yeah. the first two months of the season the numbers were even worse for the Hawks. Like him bouncing back has really helped the numbers look better. Um, but even guys like Jabari Parker when he was around shot twenty seven percent from three. It's just even the guys who who are supposed to make shots like like Vince Carter and Alan Crabb who are no, you know Alan Crabb's no longer here, but even those guys have not made shots. So it's it's not just Reddish and you know other guys like that. It's just that they number one never had enough shooting, and number two, a few of the key guys that they needed to make shots just haven't made shots. So yeah, um, it's not a Listen, secret. I'll, I'll but... sign a ten day if they need me to. I can't do much else, but I can I can at least <laughs> stand in that corner and and even above the break and knock down some shots. Yeah, it's uh, eventually. I think for the, for next season, it would be nice if I could look at the roster and and name a third shooter that I would describe as above average. And they don't have one right now. It's it's two. They have two guys who yeah. are above average shooters, and they have a couple of average shooters. I think Hunter and Collins uh, would would qualify as average. Uh, Reddish for the last two months has been average, um, but that's kind of that's kind of it. So anyway, um, what else is I going to ask you about on this podcast? Oh. We've we've gone for a while here, but uh, maybe this will take us down a couple of uh, a couple of avenues. I was going to ask you, um, Bet Online came out with uh, over unders um, updated at the, at the All Star break, which is I think is a pretty pretty cool idea by them to come out with like new numbers to bet on, and they put the Hawks at twenty five and a half. Um, just so people know, and I, I tweeted about this, um, but the Hawks are at fifteen right now. They'd have to go eleven and fifteen to hit the over the rest of the way. Um, I tweeted that I think that I would go over on this. Uh, I wonder if you agree with me. And before before anybody gets gets mad or gets uh, surprised, I will just say this as a reminder: the Hawks have the easiest remaining schedule in the NBA, and they are also at this moment better from a roster standpoint than they've been at any point this year. So, with all that preamble, would you go over with me, or are you more skeptical? God, I mean, I I think it makes sense to go over. I just think like th- this team will find some way to underachieve, although. I don't know, maybe that's not fair because they've just been so depleted and they were kind of a different team than they are now earlier in the year. So I I think I think it's most likely that they go over by a hair, maybe like 55, 45% chance. Um, but I you know, I'm I'm not a betting man anyway, but even if I were, this is one I would probably uh, want to stay away from just because this team is so unreliable and so untrustworthy and <laughs> Like even when they've they've laid eggs in games, even when they've been healthy, like that Cavs game, right before the All Star break. I mean, they that they were healthy and they kind of just you know came out lifeless and, and did the same thing they they did earlier in the year. And those games haven't been as as frequent recently, but like you still get some of those from time to time. And so I you know even though they have a pretty soft schedule in March, I could easily see them coming out against the Hornets and doing the exact same thing, you know, and and even against a bad team just not showing up because. The, you, know, we, you forget sometimes, like the Hawks are still in that same group of bad teams. Yeah, so, I mean, I think um, they're, I think they yeah. are, I think they are better than the absolute dregs when they are healthy and when they have Collins and now that they yeah. have Deadman. I think they are better than teams like 
Charlotte, for instance, like they, they should be favored against the Hornets in a game at home, for instance. But I agree with you. Like, it's not as if I'm telling people to go bet their mortgages on the over here. I would not, I would not do that for what you said. I mean, one injury to Troy Young and all bets are off. Number one, um, number two, the team has just been so inconsistent this season. Um, they've had games where they've looked great, a stretch where they look great. I mean, they finished the pre all-star break run seven and nine, their last 16 games. And that seems pretty solid because it is, but even within that 16-game run, they had a couple of just bafflingly bad losses. Like, the last game before the de- before the uh, break was a 22-point loss to the Cavs, and it wasn't probably that bad, but it, it was a, not a good performance. They were bad in that game. Yeah, and um, one of the wins was a double overtime win against the New York Knicks. Uh, it, it was. That was a, a roller coaster. They also lost to the Pistons by 33 points. Now, granted, that was a back-to-back, yes. and it was brutal brutal travel, and we all called that one. I called it ahead of time. They, they, they were going to lose that game because of the, uh, the situation, but still. You can't get run like that out of the gym by the bad Pistons. So, all that said, like, and also, one of I uh, have a couple tweets about this from way early in the season. There was this, there was a stretch of the schedule in like late February into mid March that was like so comically easy on paper, and it still looks very easy. But that run includes two games against Memphis, who was supposed to suck, and they do not. They are good now. Yeah, and so, New Orleans is another one where you know I think they only played them twice, but. You know, still you got like they they were worse earlier in the season than they are now. They're another team kind of oh, like the Hawks, sure. who's kind of getting back on the trajectory. So those games all of a sudden don't look so easy either. Yeah, having to play Memphis and New Orleans twice each the rest of the way is not a favorable thing. It's not like unwinnable. Like you don't have to go zero four in those four games, but you are now underdogs in all four of those games, for instance. So yeah, it's it's interesting to me. I, I still think that you can find eleven wins and something that, I, that we pointed out a lot last year. And it, it will still apply now. As I think the Hawks are going to try to win. They're not going to like full-on tank here. Number one, because they don't need to. But number two, we saw this last year. They don't really have it in them with the new lottery reform. They're not going to be one of those teams that tries to lose games and rest guys super liberally. And they're just going to kind of play. And maybe a back-to-back like Capella will rest. Or maybe they'll give Trey Knight off at some point in time. But last year, Trey played all the way to the end. He sat, the, he, he, sat, he sat game 82 of the season. And that's when he had played all 81. This year, he's already missed a handful of games. So they don't necessarily have the same incentive. Unless he's hurt. If he's hurt, then rest him for sure. But this is a team that is, I think, set up to actually try the rest of the way. Which is not a small thing. It does matter. Particularly when you're playing against teams like Charlotte and Detroit in April. And they might not have the same incentive to try to play hard. So we'll see. Well, yeah, and don't forget, they also already have five young players, so what good is the draft pick anyway? Oh, I do not agree. I know you're being, I know you're being sarcastic, <laughs> but that is out there, though. It's fu- It's funny. Uh, that was one of the sentiments that was like, you know, the, uh, before they traded the pick away in the Capella deal, which is, I think, a pretty good use of resource, but um, it was like, well, they, they don't need two rookies anyway. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that they don't want these picks to happen. People were like rooting against the Brooklyn pick to come because they didn't want to have another draft pick. It's like, even if they don't take it, they can still trade it and use it. Like, yeah, it, it's always a good thing to have more assets i think yeah. this is one thing people overlook and i was guilty of this too like when i was in you know high school and college when i was younger like even if you don't use the assets like it's better to have assets because you can trade them like the possibility of trading assets i think can sometimes be an underrated one um even though you know people are always fake trading draft picks and things like that. but i think sometimes it's easy to forget like okay you have this draft pick you don't have to use it you can still trade it you can still you know flip it for something like it's always just good to have that in your back pocket if you need it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to make you do a draft talk because I did I did a full podcast yesterday with Jackson Frank on the draft, and we'll uh, save all that stuff for later. But um, he knows a lot more about this draft than I do. You'll you'll, you'll get caught up. I, Having I'm watched up almost zero college but, basketball this season. Uh, but yeah, it's even if the Hawks get a pick that isn't ideal for them in this class, as we look ahead a little bit. Um, you know, there's already I could already hear the people and people responding to me after the podcast with Jackson about how certain guys. You know the Hawks don't need him because they play the same position as X guy and X guy, and it's like, well, guys, I'm I'm gonna break it to you. They're gonna draft someone that plays the same position as one of their guys that they have now because they have a guy at every position. <laughs> they have to draft. Yes. They have to draft a player that they already have a guy at. For instance, like it could be a ball handler. Like they, they could draft Killian Hayes, and Killian Hayes is a is a shooting guard. Does that mean they hate Kevin Herter? No, it just means that Killian Hayes is the guy they wanted in the draft. If they draft Isaac Okoro, it's like. Does that mean they're giving up on Hunter and Reddish? Well, no, because it's because they have the best player that they want to take. So, yeah, it's uh, we have a long way to go. But well, don't forget, Brad, they can always sell the pick in the first round. That would be fun. Can you imagine if a team sold a lottery pick in 2020? Oh Jesus! It would be the end of the world as we knew it. Um, which which owner would be most likely to uh, force his GM to sell a, a first Sarver, round pick? Not close. <laughs> uh, not close. I think I might uh, I might nominate uh, the Till Man in Houston. Yeah, he would be up there too. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I think Sarver was the last guy I remember that sold a first round pick. Doesn't it's, surprise me. It's been a while now, but um, I know the Rondo pick was a sale that they sold to Boston, um, if I remember correctly. That was ten plus years ago. But yeah, got, you know, I think owners at least now have figured out that you can't sell first round picks. The Hawks um, sold two second round picks last year, pretty blatant, pretty brazenly. I know they got future protected second rounders in those deals, but they were, they were pick sales. Let's not be, um, beating around the bush, but, uh, first rounders are another thing entirely. Anyway. Um, well, if I, I mean, I, you were not, you were non-committal, Ben, can I put you down for, uh, 10 and a half wins the rest of the way? Just, just to be right, right, right on the over under. Is that where you want to live? Yeah. Yeah. Give, give me, give me a slight over. <laughs> so um, 11, 11 to 15. Exactly. Yeah, what, give me your a, a 10 and then maybe they, they win 10 and then they, they just, you know, they play some sort of, quintuple overtime game that just never ends i kind of hope uh, they're uh the league just ends it i kind of hope they're 10 and 15 going into that last game at home against cleveland um where where they'll be favored in that game because the Cavs are are not good but the Cavs just beat the hawks um that would be uh it'd be high drama for the second half over under if they uh they play the Cavs at 10 and 15 um yeah i'm looking at the schedule it's gonna be some interesting interesting times ahead for the Hawks, but it is favorable. There is a three game stretch. I know you'll appreciate this before we get out of here on the podcast. There is a single week in March where in three straight games, all at home, Ben, you and I will be watching the Hawks play the Hornets, the Knicks and the Cavs in a row. Oof. Can't wait. That is the, uh, the three game homestand that awaits the Hawks from March 9th through March 14th. If you ever want to see if you, if you are going to bet the over on Hawks wins, you need two of those three, um, maybe even all three, but you need two for sure. If you don't win two there, then it's uh, it's panic time. All right. Well, uh, Ben, you've given me enough time. I really appreciate you doing all of this. Um, if you have any last thoughts, please share them. And if not, please tell people where they can find your work, man. Well, you know, I guess my last thought would just be I, I'm curious to see what this team looks like when it's healthy. I mean, I know this this point's been beaten into the ground, but it's just it's been kind of impossible to really glean anything substantive <laughs> from this team and make any yes. real uh, you know assessments because they just. I was I was going through the schedule today, and I think by my count, I think there was one game all season where they had the the full rotation healthy and available to play, and it was it was the game. It was John Collins' first game back in Cleveland. The so Cleveland really, game, I mean, yep. they he, like he played well, but but the team really was not 
up to speed and in rhythm because it, he hadn't played in 25 games. Because, you know, early in the year, Kevin Herter was playing, but he, he was still dealing with that knee stuff that clearly limited him. And then, you know, Collins gets suspended, Herter gets injured, Herter comes back, Collins is still suspended, Collins comes back. And then I think the next game, Jabari Parker gets injured against the Celtics, and he hasn't played since then. And so, you know, then DeAndre Bembry and Bruno Fernando and Alex Lennon, everybody just goes on the, shel- on the shelf. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see if they will add to that, that list of one game with their full rotation. And obviously they haven't played a single game with their, their current rotation fully together because they, they made all those trades and it's just a lot of new faces. But, you know, I really, if they can get six or seven games where, you know, Pierce just has the full complement available and he can kind of structure the rotation the way he wants to, I'm, I'm interested to see not only the results of that, but also, I guess, like who gets squeezed from the rotation? What do the minutes look like? How is everything structured? I think that could be really interesting to see if we ever get to see it. And that's kind of been the big if for this team all year long. Yeah, hopefully at some point in maybe late February, if Capella's back or somewhere along the way, they will be able to hold on to their health long enough for, for Capella to be back. <laughs> they could actually be a fully formed basketball team for a little bit of time. That would be nice because, you know, every team battles injuries, but between the suspension and the little the little things that have happened, I wrote about this a little bit this week on, uh, on Peachtree Hoops, but yeah, it's... Um, it's been a challenge. I would echo that in a big way, and uh, hopefully they will have their core guys because, uh, you know, it'd be fun to just see them all play basketball. They're not going to be great, as I think we've said a couple times on the spot, guys. This is, this is still not a great basketball team, even even if fully healthy, but they're a lot better than they were um, early on when they were not healthy, when they, when they were not healthy uh, slash suspended. And let's be honest, we deserve this, right? We've sat through enough bad Hawks games this season to see a good basketball team actually take the floor, right? I mean, come on, we... We we uh we've we've paid our dues to be able to see this team actually play well. Uh yes, I I will still stand firm. Somebody asked me this the other day, and I forgot to answer it on my podcast. So I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it now before we get out of here. Um, the least fun I've ever had covering the team is still the 16-17 season when they were actually a playoff team. That was the Dwight Howard experience. The Dwight year, yeah. Uh, that was not fun. Uh, the runner-up for bad experience was the following season, which was the Dennis Schroeder, Torian Prince season. Um, so th- this season's still more fun than those two. <laughs> there were some, those 10-game losing streaks, I will say. This is the only season I've covered the team, but those two streaks were they pretty, were bad. Yeah. pretty dark. And by the way, I, I, say, uh, I say we deserve good basketball, not as a fan, but just as someone who wants to... Uh, to be entertained by watching a good team play. I just want to make that clear. That is an important correction. Uh, uh, no you, biases here. You, you and I uh, attempt and do our best to cover the team objectively, which always sits well with everyone, as, as I know you know. Everyone yes, loves never it. had any problems with that. Yeah, same. Um, but anyway, I um, hope, hope everybody's, everybody enjoyed this podcast. Ben, thank you for joining me. As always, my friend, I will beg you to come on again in the future. You are now a frequent guest. I think we can kind of assign that at this point. You have now been on more than twice, and you are a frequent guest of the podcast, so I appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's it's good to join uh, that exclusive club. <laughs> you can. Uh, it, it is kind of a short list of people that have been on more than twice, and I have to go through that list at some point. But all right, ask for everybody else. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. We'll be back after the game on Thursday because there is a basketball game on Thursday night with the Hawks hosting the Heat. So stay tuned. We'll have a new podcast after the game, and we'll see you then.